This episode of the Yes Girl podcast is made possible by Nationwide. Do you feel stuck at your current job? Are you tired of settling for temp gigs? Are you looking for a diverse and inclusive environment to work in? Look no further than Nationwide. At Nationwide, you will be provided with the tools and resources to feel empowered and level up your career game. This award-winning company helps you discover your passion while securing the bag by equipping you with leadership support, opportunities for development, networking, and community involvement. Essence wants you to know that Nationwide is on your side. Visit Nationwide at www.nationwide.com forward slash careers to find your dream job. Good morning, yes, sister. Good morning. How you feeling, babe? I'm feeling awesome. You're, oh, I want to get to awesome. I, I woke up a little, just a little. You're not 100 you know, that stress. bitch today. No, I'm in my 50s. 50 percent that bitch this morning. I didn't come toward today correctly. I need to figure that out. Okay, so this is not an ad, okay. but I want to tell you something that I did recently. What you do? I'm gonna make my story short because you know I'm long winded, and I you'd be like, uh, get to the story. I'd be walking <laughs> all around the around park. the block. But okay. I think I've talked in the podcast about these alerts I get, shine texts. Yes. All right. I love them. So I was realizing I wasn't getting them anymore. And I why? said, why? Where's my shine text? And they sent me a nice little message that said, hi, I know you've been liking our SMS texts, but we're going to stop this. Go over to our app and download it and you'll get your motivation. And I was like, okay, cool. There's a fee. Ooh. And I ain't going front. Their business is growing. Their business is growing. Shout out to them. But I paused because they were like, it's only a week trial and then you have to pay. I'm just going to be real because it's not an ad. I'm just my real life. It was $53.99. I ain't never paid $53 for no no app. Wait, what? But here's what I thought. I li- literally, as I was trying to go and get the app, I remember because, you know, I love podcasts because we have a podcast. Yes. Our podcast is called what? Yes, yes girl. girl. I see so, what you did there. Yes. Um, I love podcasts, but I said, wow, I need a podcast that's like um, just give me motivation. That's what I, I kind of need to switch it up. And I remember Tracy G. She had her, I think they were called audiograms. Yes, she has her, um, no, um, audio vision boards. Audio vision boards. And I said, okay, maybe I should go back to hers. But then I said, well, let me just see what this app is. And sure enough, the app has motivational podcasts. On the app. On so the you're getting app. your $53 worth. So I'm getting my $53 worth. So I said, you know what? I thought about it. I said, you know what? I could spend $53 on two glasses of rosé and some guac and some guac and you, chips. Yes, you could. Without Easily, even without even blinking. I you wouldn't even look at, at the bill. You ever just not look at the bill no. and sign it? Because you're like, I enjoyed this wine. I enjoyed this wine too much. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and buy it. So I double clicked yes. And sure enough, I had a nice little meditation moment on the subway. So you're trying to tell me that this app is worth $53? This app may be worth $53. It's fall clothes buying season, Corey. I know, you're right, because I, I need some seasons. shoes. Because I my little Converse's. It's Ooh. boots season. I, know, I need some. It's fall jackets. But I just want you to know, that's how I kicked off my fall. No, but okay, what I would love to know is, can we share the app? Is there a family plan? Yes. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm just trying I got to- very possessive. No, there's no family plan. Okay. All right, maybe. You know, How about I'll screen, I'll screen grab some stuff. For okay, you. that would be, you know what? I would receive that. You receive that. Okay, Anytime good. you remember and you want to screen grab something, I'm coming, shine. I'm coming, but after I get my booties. Okay. <laughs> Priorities. Thank you for making me laugh this morning, Corey. I need it. Good, good, good. You know what? Speaking of make us laugh, 
We had the most feel good moment ever with this week's guest, you guys. Y'all already know we love this man. You know who it is because you clicked on the episode. Corey, who's here? Raphael motherfucking Sadiq. Girl. And can we say how like we legit stand? I was embarrassed by myself. Stand. I was like, what am I doing? Like, yeah. I felt it happening. But I my saw lips the, wouldn't stop. The professional line we bumped up against it, and then at one point we just straight crossed it. Wait, my favorite part was like we were talking about his name, which we're gonna get into. But we were like, what do people call you? And I was, and he's like, oh, you, you said I think you asked him, do you, what do you want us to call you? Like Raphael, da, 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 da. and I was like, he was like, oh, it doesn't matter. I was like, well, in my head, I call you Raph. He was like, nope. No, <laughs> no, and that was the the message. That's like, let's bring it back. Oh my God, bring he was, it back. but it and not in like a. It wasn't even like shade. I love him. It was more like, nope, that's nope, I don't that's receive that. It. Nope, not gonna do that. <laughs> but you know, it goes to show we love people for all sorts of reasons. And when you really love an artist and they're an icon like he is, I think he's an icon. I I feel like he's one of the greatest, the goats. You just have your own personal relationship with them. Yo, and what he's doing right now with this album, Jimmy Lee, which, okay, in theory is really sad because it's about his brother mm -hmm. who unfortunately died of a drug overdose, mm -hmm. but it's still Raphael Sadiq and those, it's still jams. Corey, you know those artists who have the kind of longevity and just that, that they have their own style? Like, I, we told him this, like, when you hear Raphael Sadiq's voice on a track, you know immediately. Immediately. That it's him. No. Or if he's had some involvement, you can kind of feel it. And then you go look at the credits and you're like, I knew it. This guy, I won't say who it is because I, I don't want them to get upset. But we had a new artist come out of the, the office the other day and he played some music. And all I could think was, you've been influenced by Raphael Sadiq. Mm -hmm. That is nothing but a Raphael Sadiq song. Like I can spot his... Yeah, there's a lot of artists to me that have that kind of longevity. Like you, earlier you were talking about Brandy. Y'all... Brandy, Love all right, her. first of all, Brandy's receipts, and we are manifesting getting Brandy on the podcast, okay, so that could be happening soon. I received that. But what I love right now are these little features that she's been on. I know, they're moments, right? Daniel Caesar's Love Again, mm -hmm. like I play that song all the time. Jet Black by Anderson Pack. I mean, she's on it just a little bit, but it's just, the, it's, she's one of those voices that when you hear the sound, you hear just a little bit, and you know that it's her. Oh my God. And our words on the streets is working on new music. I can't wait. I cannot wait. You know, when you, you know you love an artist, when, okay, this is the scenario I know y'all can all relate to. You're shopping or like somewhere in a retail store or a hotel or like a restaurant. Like you're out and about. And you know they're always playing playlists and music. Yes. You know that person is legendary when their track comes on and it doesn't matter what mood you're in, you have to sing the song. Oh, yeah. That's how I feel about sitting up in my <laughs> room. And like that one and Best Friend. Like didn't, did those songs didn't, come on? Didn't Jay Ellis post recently a photo of him in a room and he basically was said sitting up, up in, in my room? room. Yeah. Like those songs, like I could be shopping for anything or yes. doing anything. Yeah. If that comes on, I'm yeah. singing. Yeah, and especially that first beat. Dun, dun. Yes, yeah. but, and I mean, I want to be down. The remix? The remi Look. I still know every, I think I know Yo-Yo's verse and Queen's verbatim. I'll never forget one of my best live performance too. moments was 
in New Orleans, House of Blues. Brandy wasn't on the Essence Fest lineup, but she had a show at House of Blues. And I was in the balcony, and I was on one side, and Queen Latifah was on the other side, but she was directly in front of her. And she was getting her life. Life. Getting her life. And she didn't even come down to, like, do the feature. But even Brandy was like, yo, I see you, Queen. And it was just like, she knew every song. And I was like, you know what? Brandy does that to people. And what I ever do without you from the beginning to the end. See? It's like the black girl bestie anthem. They said, okay. Call you so, my best friend. Real talk. And I can't when, sing, but it's still my jam. When this album came out, Thank you I was too. already a senior in college. Let's just be yeah, real. Okay. All right. All I right. was a little embarrassed that I was loving the best friend song. The best friend song. But it's the from black this, girl I think she was 16, yep. 15 or but 16. She was like 15. She was a child. But I was straight at Sam Goody. Getting I it. I probably even had it on Low Way. Oh to be God, honest Sam with you, because I was in college, and I was playing the shit out of that album. This song, and then it made you want to go like hug your friends, mm-hmm. and y'all would be playing it on the weekends. Like, oh, we're so cute, we're besties. That's what we did. And I, if I remember correctly, it came out like in the spring, so it was definitely like warm weather. You know, pre hot girl summer. Oh my god, I have a real quick funny story. Okay, I got in trouble and got grounded for a month that summer that it came out. So that's also part of it because I literally had nothing else to do. <laughs> I had to be, y'all know, when you get in trouble with black parents, I had to sit in my room all day. I was really Ooh. sitting up in my room. You had no iPad? Grounded. They didn't have those then. I won't say what year. We know. We, y'all yeah, can do the know. math. I had the CD, and I, oh, and I so I read every word, every lyric, yeah. every dedication. I probably know the drummers. <laughs> I know who wrote that. But that's good information to know. I mean, because I literally, that's all I had was my little CD player and the Brandy album. And the liner notes. And a window that I could look out of in the line notes. Is that what it's called? (laughs) You can get a, real talk, you can get a Grammy for writing liner notes. What? You can get a whole Grammy. That used to be so sweet. You'd be like, oh, who they write this song for? And you read like the dedication. I miss that. Linnell George, she won for writing... I think it was two years ago, the liner notes for the Otis Redding album. Okay, I have a very important question. Mm-hmm. Who can you get, where can you get liner notes now? Because whenever you stream an album and you just go, I'm always looking for like you the know, notes. I'll what be, site lets you do that? It's funny you say that because um, on the Beyonce The Gift album, there's a feature I was trying to find. So I went to the digital booklet and had to look up. They're, they're there, but it's, it's kind of hidden. You got to open it separately. You got to open it separately. So if you're a Spotify user and not like an Apple Music user, there's I nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Mm, I know. Because I mean, I, I, I listen to Spotify, but I I don't go into it that deeply as far as like the apps. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you for teaching me. Anyway, so. Little, who else little, is legendary? Brandy. Who like, who like, we'll say longevity. That's That's the word. Like we're talking about artists with non-stop longevity i feel that way about monica as as we said when we talked to her she yeah like she stays with the bomb Corey, how do you as a whole entertainment director which means you i mean this is what you do yeah how how would we define longevity for an artist like what like if you if they have longevity was like how do you define it well it's funny I'm you know we curious. were you know we were talking about this before and for me longevity the way I look at it now is that it's how you continue your career. Okay. Because, you know, with so many new things coming at you, you may get distracted. You know, look at a lot of our famous singers like um, Queen Latifah, iconic album, iconic movies. rapper. But now we know it from movies. Mm-hmm. Same with Will Smith. 
Um, Jamie Foxx with it. Well, Jamie Foxx was a little bit different, but you know, comedian, TV, TV, music. You know what I mean? So people kind of really go in and who just keep working in different ways. But then there's someone like a Maxwell who, regardless of what music he puts out, he could fill up a stadium. Uh huh. But going to Raphael Sadiq, why to me he really makes sense as an artist who has longevity because. He started out, as you'll find out in the podcast, that you know he definitely was a musician, but then he took a break because Jimmy Lee is his first original music that he's done for himself in eight years. Which is like, but in those the eight years, time. he worked on Solange's album. Like, Insecure. do you know he wrote Cranes in the Sky? I did not. He wrote Cranes in the Sky. That I mean, doesn't I think surprise he wrote it with me. Solange, but you know, he was in music. He did Insecure, like you just said. Mm-hmm. He was the composer, got an Oscar nomination for Mudbound. See, so he's been working. So for me, that is longevity because he could be doing that and then still come back with an album that everybody's talking about. And I asked him about higher learning. You sure did. Deja. I mean, Ask of You, which we black folks call Deja. They do call it Deja. And actually, after that interview, I literally went and gave him about 30 of my good dollars because I had to go download the full higher learning. Yes. Um, And we got the story behind Ask of You Mm because I was kind of like, did Deja come first or the song come first? We had questions, but he gave us really good nuggets about some of our favorite Raphael Sadiq songs. And we even we we didn't really talk about Tony, Tony, Tony. No, but we gave tribute. It is about Raphael. It's about him. Michael Ashbury, yeah. he used to tell people his name was Raphael when we was getting off work. <laughs> and he was a bigger, like, big, big dude. And I'm like, why are you tell people your name is? Well, you say he's, he's Raphael, and I'm Hostin for some reason. And I was like, dude, why are you lying to people, right? right. So I thought maybe he was selling dope. He didn't want to, you know, so I'm walking with him Go every names. day. I'm thinking maybe we can get a shot or something. That's how Oakland was. He said, I just don't like telling people my name. I was like, well, I don't look like a Hostin, you know? So, <laughs> Just if you ever have to do that, just call me what you call yourself, which is Raphael. Mm-hmm. And then later on, um, we never ever did it. And then I auditioned for uh, Sheila E. And her sister was um, had a clipboard and she was registering people for audition in San Francisco. And um, and she just kind of was rude and just looked down at the clipboard and never looked up to say, what's your name? And she's just like, what's your name? She's like, name. She said, name, please. I said, name, please. And I'm just like, Raphael. And I got the gig, so I couldn't tell Sheila that her sister was being a total (laughs) jerk. So you just went with it from then on? I went with it because I couldn't tell Sheila. Right? Yeah, at that point, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. that your sister was being sort of rude. And she ended up dating her for like, you know, like five years later. (laughs) This the same girl who did that. Wow. Yeah, Zena. Yeah, so they didn't even know how, like, the name happened. And I think I told them, like, maybe like two years ago. Do you, oh, I was gonna say, do you tell that? Two years ago or two years? Two in? years ago. Oh my <laughs> god, that's a gem right there. Yeah, you don't tell that story a lot because I feel no, like we I've don't we don't know that. We didn't so know now that. Now I need to know where Sadiq came from. Yeah, Sadiq is just an Arabic word um, name. It means a uh, man of his word. So I was sort of changing my name because um, people got me confused with my brother and we were writing mm-hmm. songs and then went and bought this book and I read the um, I was reading names and. I always like the way uh, Tupac's name sounds, Shakur. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the sound. I always I like way, the way it sounds, and um, I just decided. And when I saw Sadiq, it means man of his word, and I was like, that fits me. And it was Raphael, and then the L opens up, and Sadiq closes it. 
I love it. I know. We got to open this interview (laughs) because Corey and I have been so excited to have you here. Cool. As you know, we've been battling. Um, We're probably going to request a duet. Um, It's going to be like, no. But no, but seriously, we are huge fans. Huge fans. So being journalists and also having this moment, it's like it's really double fun for us. So forgive us. No, it's okay. Yeah, really forgive us when we like, oh, wow, it's they totally going okay. You're probably yeah. used to it, no, but we're okay. not. Yeah, it's all good. Don't, don't and I have to kick this off. Y'all, Raphael Sadiq is here, for real. Yes, first Raphael Sadiq. But we have to kick this off because you were in New Orleans at Essence Festival. I was, yeah, yeah. And you're not going to remember this, but we will never forget this. We were four feet in front of you at the Spotify performance. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I, I can't remember that. It was so Ooh, hot. We can't. Oh, it was so hot. In but before city. we fell out and passed out, which we almost literally did, we couldn't believe we were that close to you performing live. Yes. Which is its own. That was its own dream. Like, I think we could, I, I don't want to be morbid, but we could have just died. Literally. literally. Wow. And well, I'm glad look we at our died. Instagram. We had to pull it up, because we uh. need you to know. Look at that. That's me. Corey's behind me. Wow. And that's me sounding terribly off key singing with you. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was a moment. It, it feels pretty moment. normal for me because New Orleans, New Orleans is, I should say, is such a place where, um, where every time I go there, I'm in Austin, Texas, places that have a line of like venues that you can walk next door, two feet, a foot next door and hear live music. So I, I just felt like in New Orleans that I'm just in some bar singing so it was perfect for me it was a moment it was a moment and i thank you for being open as a musician i thank you for being open as a musician for years um but you're here um i've been you know we've been reading a lot of press and i know a lot of it has been saying like oh he hasn't put out an album eight years but we know you've been working you've consistently been yeah. working but your newest project jimmy lee talk to us a little bit about it i know it's about your your brother who unfortunately passed away due to mm-hmm. uh, drug addiction but can you give us just a snapshot of what this album has meant to you to have it out in the world and I mean, it's becoming critically acclaimed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Jimmy Lee, like I, Jimmy Lee was like 15 years older than me and um, we, I had an older sister named Sarah. Sarah passed away too in a car accident. Um, so they were the two oldest out of the four that was in my house. It was 14 of us all together. My dad had eight kids, so. Four. My mother had four, I'm the only kid by the two of them. Mm-hmm. So on the other side, there was Desmond who passed away. Um, he, he, he died, he murdered himself. He was com- committed suicide because he was addicted to drugs and couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just, he couldn't really live with himself through disappointments and people complaining about him, you know, doing things to keep the habit up. And he didn't look like a person who had a problem. He wasn't like, you know, what people look like. He, he pretty much had a, good, a, a decent job and, mm-hmm. and everything like that. But Jimmy was pretty much <clears throat> an addict. He was looked like he should be homeless, homeless, but he wasn't because you know he was getting a crazy check or whatever you call it. And he always had a place to live. We we had him a place to live, but he was a really fun, loving guy who was just addicted to heroin. You know, people don't know what the chemical is when they're going to get involved when they you know attach themselves to it. So all I can remember is him being you know not well. Um, I didn't know it was called heroin at the time, mm-hmm. but it was it was heroin. I knew it was heroin when he died. Okay. I didn't even think about what he was addicted to at the time. But when, when they found him dead in a garage from a needle, you know, that's when I really said, okay, this is heroin. Yeah. I think I 
might have known, but didn't have to. I didn't have to think about it like that. I just knew that he hung around people that looked pretty much homeless and like they were on some type of drug. So whatever they were doing that night, as long as he wasn't doing it around me, I didn't question what it was because I didn't know how to fix it. You know. So later on, when I started to make the record, Jimmy Lee. I, just, I was making records, it wasn't called Jimmy Lee. Mm-hmm. So I had a record called Sinner's Prayer, which starts off the record. And it was more about my life, my journey in the last, you know, whatever, 10 years, and things that I was feeling a little, you know, some kind of way about. Then after that, the record started coming to me, start coming to me, and, and the record was gonna be called Glory to the Veins, which was more of about people dying of heroin. It was, um, I forgot the, the actor name is he played in Capote in the movie Capote. Um, mm, I know what you're talking about. Um, mm. I should actually have his name, but um, it's on tip of my tongue. He's a very, oof, very good. Uh, I mean, I really um, like him. I'm gonna look it up. And he, not Keith, Heath Ledger. No, no, no. Um, he's older. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna find it while you talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Philip Seymour. Yeah. So I was a huge fan of his when mm-hmm. he died of, I think it was a heroin overdose too, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was clean for such a long time and then he he just went to a hotel and just, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get high. Mm-hmm. And you know, from that and then looking at all these different rap artists and artists and actors of how many people we lost and yeah. to know I lost my brother the same way, I figured out, you know, it's, it's just definitely, a, you know, it's a world epidemic. And I wrote a song called Glory to the Veins, which the first lyrics says, it's a world epidemic and the whole world is in it. And um, so I went back and forth, Jamie Lee, Glory to the Veins. Jamie Lee, Glory to the Veins. And I thought if I, one of my friends said, if you name it Jamie Lee, it's gonna feel like this tribute album or a dedication album about death or, you know, that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to just make it about that. And then a friend of mine came to me and said, you know, I felt like it's more personal, you know, personable if you call it Jimmy Lee. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I like the way it sounded. And I didn't, I didn't want his son to like, you know, bring all these things, but it actually worked out. Um, I called it Jimmy Lee and it felt like my mom and it, she lights up when she hear, hear her son's name, mm. you know, and you know, on the radio or people talking about it in the press. And it, I think it was just uh, I went down this rabbit hole, and before you knew it, I was singing all these songs about not just Jimmy Lee about, but, but everybody has a Jimmy Lee yeah. mm-hmm. as a friend or in their Family lives. Family member, something. And you know, Jimmy that, Lee was my father. Okay, see, yeah. so the more I travel with the record, people are coming up to me telling me, you know, Chris Doritas. KCRW told me Jimmy Lee was his dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was in Paris and interviewing with this girl, and she was just sitting there crying, talking to me. Well, like you know, very light, but I didn't. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I thought maybe she was young or something. Like I couldn't, I didn't know. And she's like, you know, Jimmy Lee was my dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we all deal with it in different ways, and we don't talk about it. We just continue to be professionals mm-hmm. and continue to to walk through our journey through our walk. Mm-hmm. But what I did, I'm able to have a platform to to make a record like this, and I did, I can't tell you that I didn't really know what I was doing, I did it, and once I did it, I was like, 
I find it hard Jamie. to believe you I didn't know what you were say, doing. How can you not know? No, what I mean is, what I'm saying is, I knew what I was doing. I was making the record, Got but it. when, but when you make, when I made the, the '60s record, uh, the way I see it, mm-hmm. I made like two or three records that felt like Motown, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then that's when I started noticing that I had that I was going in this this direction. You don't know I until see. you do it like three or four times. It's mm-hmm. not a mistake. Mm-hmm. Got it. And then you continue writing the scripts. You know, since, mm-hmm. you know, I started, you know, I'm scoring film and everything like that. So I've really paid attention to detail mm-hmm. because I'm scoring. So out of scoring, you start, you start, everything becomes a movie in your head even more than you know. Mm-hmm. And so once I've completed the record, I'm, you know, and put it out, once I completed it, it was out in, in the next month or so. That's fast. Next, oh, wow. That was so fast. Next two months. Well, it was eight years for a label, but, you know. Uh, not eight years for me because I've, right. I've done it in different parts and mm-hmm. once I did it and I started talking to people then I realized like oh this is like you're gonna have to talk about this <laughs> like yeah so that's what I mean I didn't know I didn't think oh, about it like it. that and then you just when you're talking about in front of an audience is very hard the record was easy to make because mm-hmm. I do that all the time I yeah. process things and I make records about different things mm-hmm. but this one was um it became harder to talk in front of people. Like, it's okay, like I'm talking to you guys, but if I'm talking to an audience, it's, it's harder. Yeah, if somebody's interviewing me and then asking me questions, and they ask the question about my sister, and mm-hmm. about Desmond, and, and then you just get caught up and you have to take a moment. And, yeah, rethink. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so, it's brave to put your pain and that passion into your art. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to. I know, but it's just brave. <laughs> it's vulnerable, you know. And yeah. I know that's what art is supposed to be in music, but not every. You know, actually doing it. Yeah. To me, is a, a very brave act. I thought yeah. it was brave back at the beginning of Instant Vintage because isn't that a part of the opening? That you was kind a of story. Telling, mm-hmm. Exactly. You were telling us, and I remember, you know, you know, are you a fan of yours? But to hear that. Part I was like, oh shoot! I didn't know this was Rafael Sadiq's life. Yeah, so you this album yeah. is that story at the beginning of the mm-hmm, record of Instant mm-hmm, Vintage. Just mm-hmm. exactly like everybody I just talked about. Um, he lost three brothers and a sister. sister yeah. yeah, it's a story of that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um, I know I didn't tell you this, Charlie, but I'm going to see Rafael Sadiq perform tonight. I'm, just, I'm bringing, but I have to bring one of my girlfriends. Anyway, we're excited about. I'm excited about seeing your show. But I was watching. We'll talk. We'll talk later. Uh, but I was. You went live last <laughs> night on Instagram, mm-hmm. and I told Charlie this. Like everybody's singing "Still Ray." Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I told came in this morning. I was like, Charlie, I think there's other people who are fans of Raphael. Like, like <laughs> that you are more than like I, it's like a I feel like I feel like because every the crowd was singing with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's their joint. It's and that's how we it. connect. That's my that's yeah. my all the time favorite. Yeah. And when I met my husband, I was like, you better walk me to bed every that's night. Right. He was God, like, you have to. Where did? Why are you so obsessed with that? And I was like, hold on, play. And I introduced him to the song, you know, just the lyrics. But what we were talking about is that's what people feel with your music and your voice, whatever song, whatever album. It's like that a hug and a relationship. So we were just saying it's like it feels so personal. And I'm sure that's I'm sure people tell you that all the time. Yeah, you know, I guess it's it's like that because I grew up listening to so much music from like, you know, I mean, I can't mention it all but every interview is different i'd say different people but it's, it would be from stevie wonder to the oj's to mm-hmm. delphonic stylistics earth wind and fire donny hathaway and um 
you know, Neil Young and the Beatles, I mean, Latin music, so so much music, African music, to when you when you're when you sit around and you consume so much music and you hear so much love in music, you end up putting out voices that are it's your voice but it's everyone else's life. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody can grab onto it because it's not. I'm not talking about my car, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. So talking about your heart. Yeah, you know. So I was gonna. Well, I wanted to share with you. There's certain songs of yours that made me realize this is how I want a man to love me. I'm thinking about thinking of you. Mm-hmm. We wanted to ask you about ask of you. Um, there's, um, you know, still Ray for that matter. Like, Absolutely. what what have you tapped into? I mean, I know you, you, Jimmy Lee is about, you know, like Charlie said, like a lot of pain, mm-hmm. but you've also written some beautiful Be- love songs. Beautiful. Yeah. Iconic. Um, I mean, when you grow up, you know, well, love in a house with your mother, your father, your cousins, and, you know, you know, having, you know, uh, fish fry Fridays. Yes. And you know things like that. It's just it's just innate in you. It's just it's just something that you do. And if you're really into pleasing, if you're a, a parent pleaser too, you know, what I mean, mm-hmm. you can't really sing about what everybody else is singing about. You have, even if you feel a different way. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I'm not saying that I do, but you know, you just better say the right things if your parents are listening and if their friends could hear. It. Your mother has to go to church, you know, and it's good for people to to come up to her. And say we, you know, even though they don't listen to that music, that he's he makes nice records. You yeah. know, now the Tony's also <laughs> made Mike's girlfriend's a hoe. So um, that was True. a record but that. But there was a part. It was a part of it. it was you a know, part, you that's know, a yes, part yes. of ours growing up. <laughs> yes. And with Oakland and Chicken Head dudes and Chicken Head girls. Yeah. See, Chicken you know, Head comes so we yeah. we are definitely East Oakland boys. We we are bad boys as well as good boys. Yeah. But so, you know, we, we had to balance it out, and I felt like there's enough room for everybody. We grew up in the same areas, Too Short and MC mm-hmm. Hammer and Vogue. And, you know, Hammer has his his story, uh, Todd has his stories, and and we had our stories. And our, our stories fit in the line more of uh, Al Green. Yeah. I'm smiling over here because I, I went to UC Berkeley, so I lived in um, West Oakland okay. for two years, but I covered a lot of East Oakland stories. That was my beat, journalism. Okay. And you that was a great way to put it. Good guys, little bad guys. Like, that's yeah, that's, that's who you are. That's who you are. That's that's the, who I was are. over there yeah. like, yes, that's, that's East who we Oakland. Are all day long. I mean, I went to Berkeley for, for music, too, UC Berkeley. Oh, my God. Yeah, like 10th, 11th, 12th grade, I was at Berkeley walking around the campus like I really, you know, belong there. <laughs> I it was, was in a, a program, great place but I, I love I love UC Berkeley though. Yeah, but getting to know Oakland and yeah. the people of it's Oakland, it's a different place. It's the, it's the it's whole a special other swag. Place. I had um, back in college, some of my closest friends were from Oakland. Um, shout out to Skyline. Yep, Skyline. <laughs> yep. Yep. Hope Camilo's listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, I can't I, let you say that without saying Castlemont. Okay. The Knights right. would not like that. So, shout out to Castlemont. <laughs> and I that's do, really let's Oakland. Be clear here. That's, that's really real Oakland. <laughs> I never felt like I got to experience too much real Oakland because I was there for grad school and, you know, I was kind of just asking people where to go and you got to really put your roots in a community yeah. to get that. Yeah. But there's a lot of real Oakland and it's I just... a lot. Oh. Town business is When are you going to do a song about Hella? Do they still say Hella? Do they? What? <laughs> do they still say... Well, let me tell when you about... I was let there me was tell the you hyphy. About, no, hyphy is still there, but let me tell you about Hella. <laughs> okay. Since, since gentrification has came, the thing about Oakland is... I was telling Usher this before. Usher went to Oakland 
to I guess he went to a Cleveland game when Cleveland was playing the Golden State Warriors, and they called me and a friend of mine named Jaha, and they wanted to get something to eat, and they was celebrating really hard. So I said, I'm gonna send you guys to this restaurant, but <laughs> it's a nice restaurant, but don't be fooled by the color of the people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because if you go in there rah rah about Cleveland, you might get mopped. Yeah. By, <laughs> by somebody that real, don't look real. like you. It's like they're all the same. Okay. It's all the same. <laughs> but gentrification, Oakland has always been very diverse. Mm-hmm. But Berkeley. Yeah. You know absolutely. Lake Merritt. Lake Merritt, that's where I lived. Yeah. Right. So it's always been pretty much diverse. So when they say, you know, gentrification is there, the prices went up because of the tech world. But there's always been. You know, it's always gonna be some some Flavor. white dude just gonna be like, "Yo, what's up, bro?" Yep. Yeah. It's just always been like that. Is it really like um not to cut you off? What's that blind spot? Blind, it really is. One hundred percent. But it was it's really? been diverse. It's just the now people are moving into places like North Oakland, West Oakland, where places they would normally live. But the hell of thing is even bigger now because now it's t-shirts to say hell it is, yep. hell of that. Yep. Hella health yeah. food, hella Mugs. ice cream. I saw a hella mug when I was back there recently. I was it's like, it's, it's a little too, it's a little much now almost. And also that it's a little bit. I feel like it might be a bit overly gentrified because, like I said, when I yeah. was living there, it was in West Oakland Quarry, which was like a diverse and it was it was a little bit of everyone. And when I went there, everything was million dollar this and five hundred. Like there is no more. There's no more middle class student there. middle class population in that no. area. No, it's oh, wow. just you know. And I was like, oh okay. Even on Airbnb, I was like, wait. Yeah, the house still with. I mean, I guess it's the same in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's true. Else. It's happening everywhere. It's everywhere. It's like a, what right. they call it, the E zone. The E-Zone, like the, the sports, like when you go to Atlanta and you see like the... Entertainment zone? Like yeah, is that what you sports, mean? Like where, right. the, where the arenas and everything are? Right. You, oh, I didn't think about that. It's the same thing. You see them in every city now. It's the same, yes. the same you know, practicing contractors. It's the same thing. So I think it's the same thing with property. Up next, more Yes Girl to come. When did you know black was beautiful? I feel I always knew that I was beautiful. I definitely always felt different. Always. Always. Yeah, always. You know, I've always known black is beautiful, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's funny you ask, because I, I wrote a song when I was seven, and I said, I'm a beautiful black queen, but I'm a generous queen. That's something that my mother like always taught me. She definitely always let me know that I was beautiful, consistently. And she always reminded me of that. It's Julie Global Wilson, and you are listening to The Color Files. The Color Files is really special because it is a celebration of Black beauty. So you have to have that sense of self and strength and, and know that it's it's the most beautiful thing, like being Black. But you always knew that being a Black woman, you were lit. For sure, for sure, for sure. I never felt less than as a black woman growing up, no. I love hearing stories and I love hearing people talk about the trials and tribulations, but also the successes that they've gone through. And I think we can inspire people and entertain them. My mother always taught me from a young age to know my worth. There's racism within the race and 
sometimes I would go on vacation, I would get a little bit darker than I was when I left, and I would get back and people would make fun of me. If you're a fan of beauty, you're definitely going to love this because you'll probably know most of the people, if not all the people that I'm speaking to. But if you're not a fan of beauty, you're absolutely going to still love it. I have Justine Sky here. This is Iman. I am here with Miss L. Varner. I have with me Yandy Smith. Hey, this is Sir John. Sir John, celebrity makeup artist. It's my honor as the global beauty director to really bring their stories to the forefront and make sure that they are forever and always documented and people can come back. I would love all of you to tune into The Color Files on iTunes or wherever you can find podcasts. Well, I want to get back to your music a bit because, like I said, it's a love affair right now for Corey and I. But I feel like you perfected the formula for the perfect song. And I can't describe it. I just know that if I... can't I, either, so. I just... Well, I was about to ask you to, see, pressure. But I just know that... I was telling Corey, you just knew coming up for me, when I heard your voice on anything, I just knew I was going to love it. Yeah. I, I recognized it instantly, whether I was paying attention or not. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I knew I was going to love it. It was the blessing on the track. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sort of like that about... Um, well, I, I didn't grow up being a singer. I sang maybe one time at a church where, you know, all the kids, they passed out a song that they made every kid sing. <laughs> and that was the most embarrassing time for me to sing because the lyrics to the song that I had to sing that was very embarrassing. So my <laughs> friends were laughing at the rehearsal. But so I, didn't, I wasn't really big on singing. So um, when I started singing, I just felt like, you know, you know, my mother's thing was, you don't want to make people happy twice, happy to see, happy to see you come and happy to see you go. Yeah. So you, I might think it's a single song a long enough, just as long enough for you to like it, and I just have to stop before you stop liking it, and that's sort of my producing angle. But now, a singer that I did I all love, love it's a lot of singers I love, but I, I felt like Luther Vandross had that voice where you you were gonna like everything that he did. And I remember I was in high school, and this record came out by Luther Vandross, and I I told my cousin and I said, you know what, I'm not gonna like this song because he sings so good. It's just like, you're just gonna like it because he sings so good, it's not because of the song. So I woke up and I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna like it. I heard the song, it came on the radio, I said, I'm not gonna like it, purposely, because I was trying not to like it, and that was never too much. Oh, ooh. Now you know you like it. So like, it came it came on and I said it, and the next morning I was going crazy, <laughs> singing the song, it was like it was impossible not to like anything that Luther Vandross sang, so. Yeah. Well, do you feel honored to be in that category of artist? Because I mean, that's what every artist. I never felt of. like that, but I just felt like um, I've always stayed a fan of uh, of the things that I was a fan of before I entered the you know uh, the industry, and I just felt like it's better, it's safe for me to stay a fan. Mm-hmm. That way, I don't get too caught up in myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know how to get caught up in myself. I only do it when I'm performing, but okay. once I walk off the stage, I can. I can turn into the you know Just, any yeah whatever. you don't even feel like that guy when you not at all it's definitely some uh, Clark Kent like some <laughs> I can see that yeah right? I don't know I, I don't can, but now know I'm how curious, to do that when you want to I could totally see that and why you've been such a great producer and a herald mm. producer but then when do you know like no this is gonna be for Sadiq this is for me to sing mm, what is your I mean some sometimes you know this is for you and you kind of hold those things back but for the most part it's, it's it would be the perfect storm if you're working with D'Angelo like I had Lady before I met D'Angelo 
Wow. I had maybe six years before I met D'Angelo, I wrote a big part of Lady, like the chorus and the music. Mm-hmm. Then when I met him, I mean, nobody wanted to record the song, so it was. I mean, I was going to maybe record it with the Tonys, but nobody really liked it. They just. Really? Yeah, my manager was like, everything you write is not a hit. And I was like, I would Hater. just. Hater? Yeah. <laughs> What's his Twitter? No. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos Stanfield. <laughs> Now, he's my boy though I love, I love him but yeah but you know I was just mm-hmm. that's when I was learning how to write or produce yeah. or trying to you know feel, feel you know get my footing in where I was going but when I met um, D he was um, I, I, has, I had this idea since we were just sitting by each other I, said, I got this idea and I started playing it and he just looked at me and said you know I like it and so we started writing the lyrics together to the verse that's, so that's him singing you know writing a bunch of that a bunch of them itching for you to scratch them but but even at the health food stand is me you know what i mean because that's that's how i Love eat it. and that's how that's that's sort of both of us mm-hmm. but um yeah just you know it's for, it's for him because it's at that time it's like you can't hold anything and yeah. if if you hold things it's almost like you 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 might stun your growth of ever having an opportunity to write another one because you're so afraid to let something go. Sometimes you have to let things go that you that you like or love, yeah. and have you know some greater things come back to you. Are your songs like your babies? Is that a weird question? Because I feel oh, yeah, like people, I, you know, yeah, kids. yeah, no, nah, I don't like to say that, but it's definitely a release. But you know, if you're releasing it to somebody that's great, you know, no, it's just it's, it's music. It's um. It's chord progressions to talk in music terms. It's, it's chords, it's, it's beats, it's just things that you play and, and you feel good about playing them. But when it gets to the to a consumer and it does something for them, it feels that feels way better than me holding it for me. Well, I guess that's what I was thinking because like you watch your kids grow up. Because we were thinking about how, like, Ask of You or just any of your songs, like, doesn't matter. Forever, when they come on, people will stop and be like, oh, yeah, I got to sing that. Yeah, You know what I mean? And other things you've produced, written, touched, sang, doesn't matter. So it's just, I guess I was kind of thinking of it as, like, your children, that you get to see the lifespan of your work and how yeah, it just, you know, it grows up. You're proud. No, you're, you're definitely proud. But I guess I'm I'm still honestly catching up to people really liking I mean, I'm not gonna say like sit here like when I put it out and the people were singing it back to me that I knew I knew it was a hit song. Right. But it's it's different for it to be 25 years later, and to watch an audience sing it. it you know, you can't you can't see the future. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So now that it's you know 30 years later, and you singing in the park and people singing songs back to you, you can go, okay, you wrote a real joint. Yeah. You know so. <laughs> yep. You have to wait till you see it. Yeah. At the time, you could be like what they call in the record industry. You may be a fly by night. You never know. You hear so much. You know, a one hit wonder. One hit wonder. Mm-hmm. But folks still stand for it. Never rains in Southern California. Nope. Mm-mm. They do. I'm gonna have to don't Corey. I'm okay, it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can't do this. I yet. have to know where do you feel most creative as far as like in your songwriting, your producing, or is it is is it separately? 
I think different buckets of I'm more creative um I feel like with, with with music, I've always said, I always use basketball analogies, and it's funny, or sports analogies. I always felt like, you know, if you see a basketball player and he's on the court and he's at the three-point line and nobody's guarding him because they feel like he can't make the shot, mm-hmm. I always wanted to be the guy, if you, you always have to guard me because I'm going to make the shot from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so... I felt like once I was in the music industry because I was, you know, was never trying to be famous, was never trying to make records. I was a bass player. At best, I thought I'd play for some a famous band or something. That was it, at best. So when all of this happened, I said, okay, if I'm entering this, I, I better be able to shoot the ball from anywhere on the court, which means producing, writing, singing, um, uh, scoring film, um, being a, a president of a label if I wanted to, being a publisher, whatever was whatever was open, I should be able to apply myself to any of that. Mm-hmm. That was my thought, you know, so I didn't look at anything as being different. You know, I worked at a record store, you know, so that was part of being in the music industry, looking at records, yeah. and you know, so I didn't, I never looked at it like I got into the business, I was gonna be this, uh, um, this, I was gonna fall into the superstar stuff where I was, you know, running from girls and, you know, running out of cars. You know, that was just the movie that they showed. You know, when you, you know, our first video, the Tony's like baby doll. We staged a video where we jumped out of a car and like, you know, hundred girls was running after <laughs> us. And so while we were running, the whole time I'm thinking like, oh, these things are staged. This is terrible. <laughs> but meanwhile, yeah, you know what I mean. So you know, but. You know, you stage things, but I just think that I just really, like I said earlier, I just, uh, the creative side, I'm very creative, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, I'm creative with working with people too. I think it's always good to have a great team, you know, by you, a great support, a great engineer. Um, Always felt like you should have smarter people Mm -hmm. than you around you. You know, I never really wanted to have somebody that was not too bright around me when I was working. You know, just I always want to have really bright people around me, smart people who they can, you know, and even with that, you're still going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But it's it's music. It's the um, it's a business that people get into who couldn't yeah. make it in the real business <laughs> in the world. It's, just, it's a second class business, honestly. That's what the music industry is. It's oh, a it second. moves us so much as I it know. touches us. So. I'm over here like I miss record stores. Like no. when you said that, I yeah, was like, record stores, yeah. remember you used to go in and you could listen to yeah. an album. Yeah, I mentioned yeah, before yeah. that, you just had to have a good ear. That too. You just, you just, the artist was so good, you know, when Earth, Wind & Fire had an album on, you just buy it. You, you just bought, bought it. it. But then when records started coming out and there was only one record on it, that's when the listening station came out. Mm. And now that it's like, you know, with streaming, you can listen to everything you want and you can go out and see it. I just miss the experience of going to get yeah. that jam. Yeah. I will admit, before um, you came in, I mean, because, you know, this is, we like to say this is our side job, although, you know, we work at Essence, but we have full other duties we do and we were having a, a moment because we've you know we're on deadlines for other things and we were like okay we got to get ready for our let's play some music and immediately hearing your music our moods shifted immediately immediately and um i just guys just want to tell you again how thankful i am oh, for what you, you for your body just, of work thank yeah. you thank you um it's yeah. been an honor to to make it and I, honestly i've been making music um just to respect um people before me 
mm-hmm. who came out. You know, you just want, when you see tell. Maurice White, you just want him to nod and say, like, pretty good job, kid. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, for somebody who wrote, like, you know, that's where the world, you just want a head nod. Like, hey, okay, we, we see what you're doing. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, compared to them, that's pretty good, you know. So, um, and with that integrity, the bar was just so high for me as a kid, listening to all this different music. So I, I felt like I had to give, you know, kids and people just, I had to give back. This is the way I'm giving back to people is by trying to put some integrity in, into music. Even when people knock some, you know, they, they knock mumble rap, they knock this. And I don't feel like we should knock any of them because, mm-hmm. right. of, because you know, as long as they're not out there killing anybody or accidentally run over somebody's kid in the car. My sister was ran over by a, a kid running from a cop. Wow. So when I see a kid, anybody making music, they're in, they're in the house, they're in the studio, like not on the street, I'm like, cool. Yeah. Good. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care if I can understand what you're saying. Good. Yeah. It's saving your life. Changing yeah, save, your life. Changing your life, saving yeah. life, and that's it. Yeah. Well, we have to know some backstory. of a couple of your songs. Okay. Um, one of my favorites on the album, I know it's a little different from uh, on Jimmy Lewis, for me it stands out a bit, is Belong to God. Right. Um, so give me the, can you tell us the backstory behind that yeah, particular my, track? My Body Belongs to God is my uncle, my, it's my mother's younger brother. Mm-hmm. He's like 82, my mom's 86. He wrote that song and um, he actually was, his, he was actually putting on a gospel project and it was just a small indie record. And he came to me to ask me to fix another song that he had. But when he got to my studio, he said, I have an idea for a song. And he he sang it to me, and that was the song. And then I ended up recording and playing. It's just me and him on the song. Mm-hmm. And I was I I needed to find a place to put that on a record uh, on my on Jimmy Lee because he knew Jimmy Lee better than me. Oh, you know, so yeah. you know they were both in the South together. When Jimmy was a kid, he was around. He knew a lot. He knew a lot about Jimmy. So I felt like the connection between him and Jimmy Lee and. Also, me playing gospel music, gospel quartet music is sort of a music that maybe just you might have heard, like the Mighty Clouds of Joy, um, artist Swanee Silvertones, which James Brown was a huge fan of. Like, Try Me is really Try God, Try Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's a song called Try Jesus, I Try God. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> some of the music I grew up playing, you know, since I was nine, ten years old, and I was in my uncle's group. So, it's like it, it just comes around full circle to have my uncle on the record, mm-hmm. and um, not seeing it at the shows. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty fun. No, it's dope. It's dope. Okay, my turn. <laughs> and I'm gonna record this for social because okay. I so I want to know if there's anything we don't know about Ask of You, and I say that because we were talking about how epic that soundtrack was, but I also always think back to how Deja was her was Tyra's character in yeah. the movie. And I'm always curious, did the song come first? Did the cast, you know, like, did this, like, was, did you make that song after reading the script or? No, well, I've, I worked with, I worked with John Singleton from Boys in the Hood, which is Just Me and You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my first solo record was Just Me and You. But the label at the time wouldn't let me use my name. Mm-hmm. They made me use like Tony, 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 but it was a solo mm-hmm. record. Um, I recorded in my mom's house in, in my first bedroom ever. And I've, I wrote it there, sang it there, and I gave it to John. So John never let me see the movie. He just told me that um, it's going to be a scene with uh, 
Nia, mm-hmm. Nia Long, mm-hmm. and um, Cuba Gooden Jr. And yeah. they're gonna be in a locker room, and it's, it's gonna be their first kiss. And so I just wrote just me and you. After he told me, that's all he told me. So at Higher Learning, all he told me, well, he, I've never seen a movie. He said, the girl's name is Deja. That's all he told me. And then I wrote, ask of you. That was it. Just like that. that wow. Yeah. And every guy in the world was looking for a Deja from that then on. Yeah. I'm serious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you. Oh, that's good. I always just wonder that. You no. know? And t- I think my friend was working at, at Polygram at the time. I think she works here now. Dana Baxter. Yeah, yeah, Dana. Dana. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my really good friend from, from the beginning of um, the Tonys at Polygram. She used to work there. Oh wow! She used to work there. Yeah. I wish she well, she's in DC she's right in now. DC. Yeah, yeah, I know. CBC, yeah, she yeah. told me she's gonna be in DC. She said, you oh, come damn. into the office. I'm like, yeah. I love that. Oh, yeah. I love that. Tell us the that. whole she family. Like, oh yeah, she know how she is. She just so humble. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just working. Yeah, <laughs> just working. Always working. That's so data. So our next song is the last one is um, "Still Right" because it's both one of our favorites. So what's the backstory? Backstory. The well, lyrics are just so good. I'm, I'm feel like babyface right now. Like, so, so you could just break every girl's heart. But when he when he um, when he wrote um, as soon as I get home from work, when he wrote that oh, song, yeah. I think he went on Oprah Winfrey show and she asked him, "Can he cook?" And he said, "No." I was like, "What a killer!" Like, why would you say that? You just should have said you, you should have lied. Yeah, <laughs> you should have said you in cook school. You, you, you're going to get it. You get dinner it. too. You working it out. I'm like, yeah. he was like, no, I can't. I can make like a bologna sandwich. I'm like, bro, you killing it. <laughs> no, but um, this is sort of like I don't know. It's it's weird when I sing that song and I see people like respond to it the way they do. Respond right. to it yeah. like like even Eddie Murphy said, told me one time. He said, bro, that's a cold lyric when you said. <laughs> um, where something see, see through, through yeah. to see your heart. And I yeah. was like, oh yeah. I think I was so into the beat that I didn't yeah. even think about what I was writing. I was right. I was more thinking about Dr. Dre's um Glink, 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 glink. That's true. Oh, yes, yes, it does yeah. sound like that. Yes. Yeah, so I was more of trying to make a gritty beat and then I just sing it over the top of it. And then when it came out, you know, everybody, I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> but that's what I think it is. Like that grit and that romance. It's the grit. Yeah. It's like the it's my husband's romance. shit. It's my shit. Yeah. It comes yeah. on. Yeah. We're in the kitchen do wedding. I just don't realize how simple it is. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. It was still Dre. Yeah. Yeah. Still Ray. Stop uh, it. Mind blown. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't all this time. Yeah. Still Stop Dre. It. Still Ray. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes, I mean, that shout makes out to so. there you have it, y'all. Yeah. Shout out, but it's, I mean, truly iconic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think, thank and you. and every time you say where something's through, through, I can see your heart. I always touch my heart, and then I just hold it the rest yeah. of the. And I guess the I'm highlight of me of that t- was to what she mean was the tuba throwing in a, yeah, an yeah. instrument. Yes. You know, I played trombone and like in, in um, jazz band in high school, so mm-hmm. to bring in brass and introduce people to new instrumentation is um is a, a limited thing. That you know, then you know you see people be influenced by. Then you see the roots, with a tool player. Absolutely, I'm Come sure. On, and the video this. was so simply wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like Quest, it, Quest loves Still Ray. Quest that. loves. He loves Still Ray. He's a you know he's a he's a a music you know historian. Yeah, oh yeah, you know totally. I mean? so, mm-hmm. yeah, so. Still Ray is the perfect track. I mean, oh. you have plenty, but it definitely goes Thank up you. there for me. Thank you. I've got some Well, just okay, we can wrap. But instant vintage is bow down like. 
That's my jam. The whole yeah, that was the introduction to I think my um, process of knowing I can. You know, I, I fought doing a solo record. You know, I left the Tonys mm-hmm. and then I went to Lucy Pearl, and then once that was done, and like in six months, and it was time. I was forced into doing a solo record, which is now uh, I feel like full circle. Mm-hmm. All those records from Steel Ray to um for Instant Ventures to uh, Ray Ray, um to you know uh, Stone Rolling Stone Rolling the way I see it, mm-hmm. and now it's this record. I feel like I'm bringing a lot of different audiences together, like to say, okay, this is my canvas, and I'm a very creative person, and, and I'm going to change frequently. Mm-hmm. So, but if you just take the ride with me. We'll see where we're going. You know. Like the reunion. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we will definitely be riding for you. But Thank you. Appreciate thank you for it. being a wonderful artist. We thank didn't even you. get through your receipts, but we'll, um, we're going to get through those in our, when we do our description. Right. Because cool. Cool. you have so many. Cool, yeah. right. But thank you for your time, and you just you. made our day. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we learned new things about you, which is like. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I didn't think there was yeah. much else we could learn, Corey. Nope. Look. <laughs> Up next, more Yes Girl to come. I'm Marquita Harris, the Working Money Editor for Essence, and I'm seated with two amazing, very colorful, beautiful women by my side. Um, to my right, in the green, I have Michelle Thornton G. Uh, Michelle is the EVP of Business Development for Endeavor Global Marketing. And I have, in this beautiful mustard yellow, uh, Vanita J. Clements, who is the Senior VP of Human Resources for Nationwide. Hi, ladies. Hello. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. <laughs> so today we're just going to just kind of have a conversation about career and um, hit some questions that I'm sure some of you guys are going to be interested in. But to start, I kind of do want to give people just a gist of who you are and where you come from. So I'm going to start with Vanita. What was your very, very, very first job? The first job you ever got a paycheck for? Church's oh. fried chicken. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, when you're in and it was right out of high school. Okay. So my friends were there and they thought, let's uh, we can get you a job there. And when I got there, uh, it was interesting. They wanted me to work on Christmas Day. Well, that's a big holiday for my family. Uh, And at that point, I decided no more church's chicken. I went into retail (laughs) and uh, made my way over into human resources. What did it feel like to get that first paycheck? Good. Okay. Okay. Felt that's, really that's good. That's what I want to hear. Yes. Because I think a lot good. of times our first jobs, it, it kind of sets a stage for either what we maybe want to do or what we never want to do again. That's just, so. that's true. <laughs> it's a learning experience either yes. way. Yeah. And I want to know, Michelle, your very, very first job. Can I, you know, in Oakland fashion, I have to do this, right? Yes. So my very first job, I didn't get a paycheck, but I got so much more. And okay. sometimes we're chasing the paycheck and we don't even look at the other value that is being yeah. given to us. So my Amen. very first job, my dad owned a small restaurant and every Saturday morning I would be like, oh God, please let the footsteps go past my room. <laughs> so I do not have to get up and go clean okay. chitlins. Okay. Yes. Um, but what it taught me, and I didn't realize it until I got older, what a work ethic I had because that he gave me that opportunity opportunity, not only to interact with people, build mm-hmm. relationships, network, yeah. but girl, I could clean some chitlins. I like, love don't it. <laughs> what was uh, the name of your dad's restaurant? Uh, it was called Walt's Hickory Pit. Okay. And it was okay. in Oakland, California. Yes. Um, and he passed away. And if anybody knows my story, a lot of my journey has been, um, 
to honor him and his name and his work ethic. So I sit here today, the executive I am, because I did work for free and I did understand that sometimes you just have to put it in before you get where you're supposed to go. Okay. So how old were you when you were working for your dad? Yeah, I started at 12. Okay. Okay. Is that, is that well, he ain't here, so they can't no, go get him. Is no, that against the labor laws? No, not, not for family. family. That's right. right. Exactly. <laughs> not for family. And not when you weren't getting paid technically, but you were yeah. getting experience. Right. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, how did both of you kind of, if you can dig into the journey of how you got into the roles that you're in now with these amazing companies? So I can start first. Um, For me, um, you know, coming out of high school, going into college, um, it was very important that I land a job because I like to learn and I like to do different things. I have different passions. I wanted to work for a company that I could move around in. So if I want to do something different, I don't have to start over again. So I I started with a company um, in which I was in sales. And I was blowing sales out the water, 200% of objective. Something happened when I wanted to manage people. I remember managing people and they did not care about meeting 200% of the objective. And so I had to really find out what is it that you're here for then? Why did you choose this company? And that I learned that when you get or when you tap into the motivational triggers for mm-hmm. people, that's when they excel. Okay. It yeah. was then that I moved into human resources uh, and that's been about 20 years ago and I've never looked back. Wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. Like, it is true. To, yeah. You have to kind of get, you have to find it yourself often when you're on the job, you right. be, you know, self-starter, but what about you? Well, let me just say, you're going to keep a job, okay? <laughs> you're on the sales side. We're all hustling for a job. Sales. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people know my journey, but I had an amazing opportunity um, to work for Viacom, BET Networks, and had an opportunity to um, create the first network for Black women, which is BET Her. Yeah. Uh, and I had done all that. And I, I say this, I don't say it on camera often, but I'm just going to be super transparent because I think Black women need to hear this, mm-hmm. is that I don't care how many books you've written or what your title is, sometimes you're still invisible Mm. Um, to corporate America on equal pay day to get your right pay based on the contribution you've given. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided that it was time for me to make a move and to go to a powerhouse company. And I don't believe there's any company more powerful, at least in the entertainment, sports, culture business than Endeavor. If you know, we own William Morris Agency, IMG, IMG Sports, but in the center of that sits Endeavor Global Marketing. So there's this little agency, which is actually 800 people that actually control the narrative for a lot of clients so that we do business brands. for. Yeah. yeah. And so we allow them to touch culture in a way that really makes sense. And I wanted to be on that side of the business. Listen, when you're a black woman, you have to allow yourself to make the decision when you move and go. I'm not allowing Oof, anybody to make that decision for me. Did, did, did y'all catch that? I, it's, it's just true. <laughs> and that's, so that's I so jumped true. before yeah. they pushed me, right? Yeah, because the television landscape is amazing. I just ended up in a great place. And the last thing I want to say about this is Sisterhood Matters. And there's a woman by the name of Bozema St. John, who's our CMO, yes. who's a fierce sister herself. And she advocated for me. And we have to do that for one another. There yeah. is room for more than just we one of us. Advocate. It's a, it's a trick when they tell you it's not. Yeah. And I'm sure, especially being in HR, 
it's all about like you have to you know you got to have you know people it's in your one of the things that i find most important when you have african american young women coming into a company starting their career it's sometimes the first time they've had an opportunity to yeah. be in that environment Definitely. so that you have to give them resources and tools we have uh, at nationwide associate resource groups where it's hundreds of women it yeah. is a sisterhood wow. and that is something you have to have because as you go through the difficulties of learning and growing who do you trust And typically we want to have people that we know look like us, feel like us, internalize things the way that we do. It really helps the road to uh, perfecting your journey in your career. Speaking of journey Mm -hmm. and perfecting that journey, um, obviously you guys are very, you know, you're at the top, top tier right now, but I'm sure you've had to, <laughs> you've had to, you know, take a few stumbles and maybe, maybe take some calculated risks along the way. Can you tell me about a time in your careers where you took a risk and it paid off? Yeah. Uh, sure. Look, yeah. I got a job and I'm very happy. So, uh, you know, listen, it's it, it, like people discount honesty. And so there was a young woman, and I won't say what company, um, it's that she knows who she is. And she looked at me after I had uh, completed every number and every task. And you, you put a hurdle, I jumped that. And oh, now it's a 400 meter hurdle, not 200, right? And they keep changing the rules. Um, And I was told to my face that they didn't know if I was a leader, if people would follow me. I'm like, me? Fabulous, Michelle Thornton. <laughs> um, but I, w- I appreciated her honesty because yeah. then I knew it was time to leave. Yes. Because unless you manage people in this business, you're really not going to get ahead. Not only that, my promise to my dad was that I would advocate for someone who looked like me. And if I don't have the power to hire someone else, then I can't really can't do that. It's hard to yeah. do, right? Okay. And so she gave me the, the gift of honesty. Okay. And so I took a coach that they had given me that they weren't going to promote me anyway. And we put a plan together for me to move. Mm. And I I tell anybody looking at this or listening to this, we talk about our goals and dreams all the time. We don't etch them out like a playbook. If you want to win the championship, you put a play on the board and you place the men and the people and the women where you want them to be. And we don't do that for ourselves. And so I put a little plan together in writing on a board that I could see every single day. And that board led me to Viacom and to BET. It's like a vision board, but to the next level. What? And I, and I executed (laughs) it and I looked at it and I put the people and players up there that could help me get to where I needed to be. But I appreciated her honesty, although it wasn't what I wanted to hear based on my contribution to them. Um, And so I decided to leap um, from a really big brand to a brand that people said I would uh, go and it was just black. It wasn't, you know, big enough or, you know, you couldn't grow there. People wouldn't respect it. And I use that and now I'm at another make. So shame on you for thinking that. I'm just saying, hey, two snaps up. Let's go. (laughs) Right. So uh, for me, I would say, yes, I've definitely taken some risk Um, and it goes in the the fashion of, you know, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm. sometimes. Anytime you learn and grow, you are going to be stretched and it is a risk, especially in corporate America, because it is your brand and you are only as good as the last accomplishment in many cases. And so when you take a risk assignment, you think, okay, I could do great and I get great visibility or I could fail. And then that's what people will connect my brand and my name with. And so, you know, my 
advice to young professionals as they come into the workplace is don't be afraid to learn and grow. But as you move to those strategic stretch assignments, you have to make sure you have proper sponsorship. Who's going to have your back? Who is going to talk to you about mistakes and what what they see ahead so that they can prepare you for that landmine or that opportunity as you move forward? Because it's real. You got me excited. I'm like, yes, sponsorship. Um, A lot of there have been a lot of conversations that I've had with women recently where we've talked about mentorship and we've talked about sponsorship. For those out there who maybe aren't familiar, what's the difference between the two? Oh, I'd love to take that one because people (laughs) think, oh, who's your mentor? And I need a mentor, first of all. Everybody doesn't really need to be your mentor. I have seen uh, in conference rooms and settings where we talk about talent and they may say, well, so-and-so is having some difficulty with, well, that's not the place to bring up something like that. So you need to be careful who a mentor is. I would say mentorship is more in the realm of, let me choose a person that I can um, confide in Mm -hmm. for my own career development. Typically, I instruct people, where do you want to go? Choose a mentor who's already in that field, someone that can help you navigate those waters. Sponsorship is quite different. Who's going to have your back when you're not in the meeting? Who's going to be able to speak for you and talk good about you, the the accomplishments you've made when you're not there to represent yourself? That's the difference. And sponsorship is so important. Yeah, I just want because like to land on that point is so critical. 90% of the decisions made about most of us, we're not in the room, 90%. So that's like never. Um, And and I just want to add one word and it's advocacy because a lot of times we think that we need these big titles and this great relationship when all I really need for you to do is pick up the phone and make a call or send one email. If you open the door, I can do the rest because I'm qualified and I've prepared for the moment. And the last word that I will use is champion because when people know how to win, then they can help you win as well. So Mm. I now try and find champions. Yes, I love that. Sponsors and champions. Yes, Yes. (laughs) absolutely. So ladies, um, during your journey, I'm sure you've picked up a lot of wisdom along the way from some of those challenges and some of those calculated risks. Um, What are a couple of rules that you maybe have for navigating your career that like that have held true for all these years? I am. I have an acronym that I use called ASK. The A stands for authenticity. Whatever you choose to do, you have to be your authentic self. To me, that wraps in your passion. Um, I believe that each one of us are gifted in unique ways. And when we stay true to our gift, doors will be open for us. The S stands for being strategic. You know, you have to, as you've talked about, map out your career, put Mm -hmm. it down on in writing, understand what you want to do and your pathway to get there. So be strategic about your career. And K stands for knowledgeable. Study to show yourself approved. Whatever goal you have, whatever job, whatever career profession you're after, you have to know it. And there are ways with the Internet today, you can find out pretty much anything. (laughs) I see people in conference room meetings with their computer. I'm like, I know you Googling that, you know, in real time, you're finding it out. And and that comes down to the word ask. And for a lot of women. 
especially our African-American young women are afraid to ask because they don't want anyone to think they don't know, or maybe I should know. There is nothing wrong with asking. Have yourself like your own little board of directors is what I call it, where you have people who are advocating for you and that's a safe place to ask the question. I love that. Thank you. I I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, it's three very, and the authenticity conversation. I feel like that's so important Mm -hmm. for so many black women and just anyone um, coming into spaces where we don't see ourselves Mm -hmm. and you don't want to drop all that authenticity off at the door, you know, like it's, that's why you're here. You got to bring it to the table. Um, What about you? So a few, I don't, I don't have an acronym. That was dope. That's good. And I acronym everything. You could ask all my friends. I I Um, So that, I love that. Um, So I think the first thing, and I try and give things that people don't normally think of, but I'll say the first rule that I've learned are the most powerful people in the room answer the phones and pick up the trash Mm -hmm. and they deliver the mail because they're seeing correspondence about you. They're hearing things because they're so invisible because you're so important and walking around and you're chattering and you're in the bathroom and you don't even realize that the cleaning lady is my girl and she just told me how you really feel about me. And I really want the next generation to understand that our ancestors wore uniforms just like theirs for us to have this opportunity. Please don't discount them. Please don't let them be invisible. Please see them. Please make them your friends. Okay, so that's <laughs> rule number one that yeah. I had to learn because yeah. um, I'm so important. Right. No, I'm not. It's ridiculous. Um, and rule number two is that what I've learned is that I walk in the door and I take a seat at the table that I've earned. But I shut up and I listen. Yeah, that's a good and one. I ask questions, because if you don't listen, then you can't understand what the culture is. If you don't understand the culture, you cannot create a strategy, mm. period. And every place is different. If you Google the word culture, it actually says it's the environment that is created by the circumstances in which you're in. It's not tied to a color or a race or a curly hair. It's tied to the environment. Now, a lot of us create culture because we create an environment that is so dope. Right. And I would say the last thing um, or the last rule uh, that I live by and I had to painfully learn this is I stop walking in fear Mm -hmm. um, and titles. And I started understanding that God had an assignment for me. So you don't get to determine what success looks like for me. So I don't mind asking for what I've earned. I don't mind dressing in my authentic hue and wearing my hair the way I want to and wearing big earrings to a table because I have an assigned seat at the movie theater and you really can't have it. Um, But that's a learned trait. We walk in so much fear because what we feel like is if we make a mistake, then we shouldn't have been drafted. But when other people make a mistake, they just had a bad day. And I no longer feel that way. I should be in the room. I'm supposed to be in the room. I've earned a right to be in the room. And I walk with that attitude, not arrogance, just Mm -hmm. confidence, confidence, confidence. So those are my three rules. Yes. Okay, I'm 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 absorbing. I'm letting it sink in for a minute. Because I mean, I, I just think. You just, you guys just have so much wisdom, particularly, you know, where you're at and from different perspectives. But you did say something earlier about culture, specifically workplace culture. Um, And while we do create culture and we, you know, we create our environments, what about those people out there who are maybe come into environments in the workplace that are a little toxic? How do you navigate that space? How do you, how do you get to a point where um, you can kind of, control the culture a little bit or change it or shift it because I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who you know they're in these jobs and maybe they feel like they don't have any control 
You know, I had an opportunity to do a commencement speech at Houston Tilliston University in May, I guess, or June, um, 4,000 amazing students. And I, I told them, I was like, the number one question asked to me by millennials is they don't understand me. I can't be my authentic self. Yeah. Here you can't, but someplace you can. And every place is not meant for you. So to go in and not understand what you're getting into because you didn't ask the right questions at the interview is shame on you. Okay, right. Fair. Like unless you just really need a job. And if you just really need a job, then you just do the best you can. You compromise, but you're not going to be successful if the culture does not accept you. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand that there's a little give and take, it's not selling out. It's just getting a job, it's paying your job. bills until you get to the place you really need to be. I bet you both of us have had jobs. Five, 10, 15. We're like, yo, this thing is so like, whack. But I just need to get through this. It's a great learning. Yes, the money I'm is learning. good. I'm getting, I got to right? pay the bills. I got to pay the bills. Yeah. And, but you're, and then the last piece of that is you can't show your frustration or your anger. It's a game in yeah. these streets. You just got to get through it and smile every day. But it's true. I tell you, everyone can tell you, I come into the job every day. Good morning. How are you doing? Amazing. And That's I don't really probably like you that much but it's my you don't get to rob me of my spirit and That's my joy right. I control that mm. and that also controls how you feel about me because as soon as you say have a have a black angry attitude you know we're not going nowhere yeah so you just got to control your own situation your output how you respond and then you just make moves that's right okay you know you you talk about confidence it's um essential in any line of business, you got to know who you are. Absolutely you right. got to know your worth. And when you walk in that confidence, I think that is step number one, coming into an environment or a culture that may be somewhat toxic. Yeah. Um, I think in having to deal with the situation, and I think you're right, we probably have both had to deal with somewhat of toxic cultures. Um, for me personally, if it doesn't go, if it doesn't jive with who I am, I'm a confronter. Yeah. I can't sit and swallow it. I can't just come in every day and things are wrong. Um, but know that the culture is made up of a set of values and behaviors that those people have agreed to operate in. And when you see something that's toxic, meaning it's out of the norm and it shouldn't be that way, we have to call it out. That's right. And yeah. when you call it out, be prepared, you know, <laughs> yeah. because it's not always easy when yeah. you call something out. Um, I think about personally, I dealt with that situation and it actually caused me to say, I have to leave this organization. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to yeah. go. It is not who I am. I don't like dealing with this. In fact, I I don't have to. I had enough confidence to know I can create options and get another job. Right. Yeah. What happened to me, though, is someone who found value inside of me that I didn't necessarily see myself called me and talked to me about why I was leaving. And when they had that conversation, they said, you are running. And until you deal with these situations, you'll find that you'll keep coming up against them. Ooh, deal read. with it now. What a read. It was a read. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I, I think they're right. Yeah. And so I took that advice, dealt with the situation, and uh, it got better. Okay. Uh, the people who were giving me such heartburn left the organization, and I was able to move forward and excel. So wow. you can learn. You know, all pain is not necessarily to an end result. There is learning in pain. Mm. So embrace the situation. Sit back and understand what it is and then work through how do you strategically get better for yourself. Got it. And I, I just, the, it's such a good point because it, maybe it was just a culture of that department, but not mm -hmm. the entire company. Exactly. And you do have to be able to, yeah. that's it's such an amazing point yeah. that people need to realize that this is the, not the, um, 
this is not the entire company feeling yeah. this way. Got it. You have to have enough, you know, you intuition to know that. The dynamic between exactly, you know, exactly, exactly. Exactly. A couple of people. Absolutely. And, yeah, your team it, or it's your a boss. Really That's important exactly point. what yeah, it is. That is really definitely important. Yeah. Um, so August 22nd is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. Yeah, mm-hmm. Listen. And thank listen, you for that listen. article on Essence today. Oh, on my phone. Oh, Amazing. Yes. Thank yes. you. It's important. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's important to us. Yes. Um, I want to talk about the wage gap. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's so many factors involved in this. And of course, this is not our own doing. But I do think there might be ways we can kind of navigate, you know, whether that's advocating for ourselves, figuring out how to do that, salary negotiating. And what advice do you have for black women to make sure that they're getting paid what they're worth? You know, I think that this is a very, very important topic because everyone needs to know their worth and feel that they're getting their worth. So the fact that we're talking about it, that there's awareness about it is step number one, because it's been you know, it's prevalent and we've been dealing with it, but no one has been able to really close it. So being aware, I think is number one, what I find with women in general, you know, it's, uh, you know, for example, women will decide if they put in for a new job, they have to be a hundred percent ready for it. I know what this is called. Men, 40, 40, 50%. I I can do the job. So we have to sometimes get out of our own way and push ourselves to say, I may not be 100% ready, but I'm 60, 75%. And I can learn on the fly and get to where I need to get Mm. to. But I also think the other thing that we can do that is real is teach better negotiation skills to women. Because just because someone says, this is what I want to give to you, doesn't mean that that's what I have to accept. Where is the art of influence and negotiating to say, this is what I know I'm worth. I've done my uh, my, uh, investigation, my study. This job pays this in the market. So when we have those set of skills, we're better able to articulate our worth and get paid more. Amen. Yeah, that's, that's such yeah. a so I'm just going <laughs> to piggyback on that and then just bring up one other point. You know, with the Internet and social media and all of the information, there really is no reason that we don't know benchmark. Right. What, what we what should get, should what we should. Yeah. Um, and then we just add our experience. And when you talk numbers to people, they already know, like 28 percent of the people in this industry are getting paid this. And I'm actually in the 42 percent because I did this. And this is a, and yeah. you look, I brought an old pay stub, pay stub to a negotiation. Say, look. I know wait, what I want. Back up. Did you, you I did. Buckle, I, I love that. it out my back pocket. And, um, I, and I actually, yes. I was like, if you can't meet this, I understand that I'm not the right person. That's right. But the other thing that we have to do for one another, if I know a, a, a sister is coming into my company, sis, this is how much money I make. This is what my bonus is. I'm not embarrassed. And you might make more money than me, but that's okay because I'm, that's I know okay. what I'm able yeah. to do. And we don't want to share personal information with somebody that we're advocating for. Why not? Yes, why not? We got to let our ego down. We have to be vulnerable sometimes or we're not going to help the next person next to us. Yes. And I, I just, you know, I've done that for friends and I've called people. I was like, well, how much are you there? They don't want to. I was like, why not? Because you're not, you're not helping me. Right. So I made a vow to myself that I, I have no problem sharing my um, 
my income if I know that I can trust you with the information and it's going to actually advocate it. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to we got to do that for one another. I call that radical transparency. Hello. Yes. Yeah. And it shouldn't be good. radical. And then give me you know, five percent because be I gave you some That's information. Right. Can right. I get paid for that? <laughs> uh, and then the last piece I want to <laughs> yeah. say is this: is that you have to work for a brand that allows you to be yourself, to allow you to write a book, to allow mm-hmm. you to sit here on a couch like Endeavor supports myself, like they support Bozma. Because guess what? We're meeting amazing people, That's amazing right. brands. We're in this business, so why not let us why be not? our best selves? We're bringing value to you. We're bringing value to us. Black women are the number one growing segment of entrepreneurs yes, in the world. Yes. Let me be that. Yeah. Let me do my thing. Let me be authentic. Let me yeah. be woo woo. Right. Elevate your brand. Let me elevate your <laughs> brand. Elevate and your a brand. lot of people try and squash that. And yeah. it's, it's an honor to work for a company that allows me to do this on a work day because they understand they that I'm this is this is this is what it is. That's right. I'm sitting with Essence. I'm sitting with That's Nationwide. Right. You know, I'm gonna call her about right. some business. That's right. Okay, this is my We're here to protect you. Exactly. Okay, and we're here to elevate your brand into culture. Right. Come on now. Nationwide is on your side. Exactly. And look, and Endeavor's gonna Nationwide is on your side. We could do this all day, but I know y'all got things to do. I have things to do as well. We all got things to do. But um, finally, I want to know what advice, what lasting advice can do you have for black women who are trying to be advocates, better advocates for themselves? You want to go? Yeah. Um, You got into it a little bit with the equal pay. You know what? And I look and. What I love about being who I am and being 53 is that I'm not afraid to talk about who my savior, my Lord and savior is. And I don't do anything in the morning until I kneel down and I ask him even about this. Can it just change one life? Can you do something for someone? And so I would say you got to get in touch with whatever you believe in or whoever your maker is or what you got to get connected to that Mm. and be grounded in something other than trying to look good for other people, do things for other people. If we took one hour a day back from people who only take and don't give, we would be whoever we wanted to be. I wrote a book in six months because I took an hour back from people who didn't really value, honor, or know me. Mm. And so I say, take an hour back for yourself. I love that. Unapologetically. Yeah. And watch how whoever you believe in works in your life. Unapologetically is the, Period. That's the key. I, I, I think you said it. So I'll piggyback on that. I think um, knowing your purpose mm, yeah. and who you are is, is it's uh, table stakes. You have to know that. Um, for me, I do the same. There is not a morning that I start my day without prayer and meditation yeah. because you don't know, especially in human resources, every day is different. <laughs> different. And you got to remain calm. With, so I, I got to start there. <laughs> yes. So, you know, with that, um, I do that. But the number one thing I hear from mostly millennials, uh, young women, they come into my office and they want to know, how can I get ahead? What is it going to take for me to move forward in this organization, in any organization? And I always tell them, bloom where you're planted. That's one of my favorites. Because 
it good work gets noticed, you know, and I don't want to underestimate the power that we have in doing a great job because that will get you noticed for the next assignment. So a lot of times people will look at things and say, it's outside of me. It's far from me. And really it's right here with you. Just do the best you can do. Um, Continue to work with people and surround yourself with people who speak positivity into your life. And I think that that's a recipe for success. Well, ladies, thank you so much for giving me your wisdom, your time. I hope everybody out there, you know, that you got got a little inspired mm-hmm. today. Um, where can people learn more about either the companies you work for or if you're your own personal brand? Yeah. <laughs> where can people learn more about you? Actually, um, nationwide.com. There are tons of jobs out there that yes. we uh, put out for postings. Please take a look. Um, Vanita Clements is my name, Senior VP for Human Resources. Feel free to contact me. I'm always on the hunt for good people. <laughs> I already got Vanita's cell phone number. So, look, Endeavor.com, um, you know, you guys, we're, we're, we're so easy to find. Um and then I would say for me, it's strategic.com um, is my handle, my website. So like uh, strategy, but chick. strategic. Okay. Yes. Yeah, strategic. Uh, and then I just want to thank Essence and I want to thank Nationwide because these yes. conversations can't happen unless brands have the courage to to have them. So thank um, both for let thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> well, that's about it. Thank you so much for making time. If you have a burning question or two, just email me at unbossed at essence.com. Tell me about a woman in your life who inspires you to be unbossed. Or if you don't want to email, comment on social media using the hashtag unbossed podcast. And please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Say nice things. Say constructive things, please. Okay. See you guys later. Special thanks to our guest, Rafael Sadiq, and our sponsor, Nationwide. Be sure to listen, download, or subscribe to more episodes of Yes, yes Girl, featuring interviews with Jada Pinkett Smith, Amanda Seals, Ayala Van Zant, and Michael B. Jordan. You can find Yes Girl on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, yes, that's you. Be sure to leave a review and let us know what you think. We love reviews. Give us reviews. More, more reviews. Thank you. Don't forget to talk to us on social. At Corey Murray. At Charlie Penn on Instagram. And at ManWifeDog on Twitter. Be sure to use hashtag YesGirlPodcast. Love ya. Talk to you soon. <laughs>